How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. We're going to dismiss our children downstairs as they uh, continue their journey in the Gospel Project. We trust God's work there. Good to see all of you here this morning. We are indeed back in the book of Romans, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about that. Looking forward to finishing up uh, the last uh, four chapters of this book. It's probably going to take us a good four or five months, but uh, nonetheless uh, excited to um, really finish it out. Uh, yeah, so basically Romans 1 through 11 could easily be summarized by saying this, and if you haven't been here with, uh, with us for this last journey, I think it's important to emphasize this uh, as we move forward, because it can be easy to jump into a section of Scripture where it's heavy instruction, specific things that God is calling His people to do, without reference to the foundation that's already been laid about such instruction. The foundation is important. We're not going to be able to articulate that whole foundation. Uh, that took us 18 months to do. But I think it's helpful to remember that the mercy of God is the foundation, uh, the saving mercy of God is the foundation on which we build when it comes to instruction. You could summarize it by saying that God has sovereignly and mercifully Saved a people from sin and judgment through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has done something. It's crystal clear, Romans 1 through 11. God has done something, and it's on the basis of his sovereignty, his power, his authority, and it's on the basis of his mercy that he has saved the people from their sin and the judgment that comes with that. And he has done all of this through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is our gospel that we preach. That is something that you will hear week in and week out. As we preach the Bible, as we come to the Lord's table, you will hear a constant emphasis on the work of God to save sinners in one way, through Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Okay, that is the foundation, that is the well from which we drink of mercy. We speak about any mercy of God, that is the well from which we drink. And so now, we ask this question, how do we respond to mercy? That's really what this instruction is. What is the appropriate response to the mercy of God in Jesus Christ? What is the fitting response? And Jeremy started last week by just saying, it's worship. It's a life of worship. It's a transformation of our mind. And today we're going to look more specifically at what that looks like. What does this worshipful response look like in the lives of of everyday Christians who have been recipients of this wonderful, freely given mercy. What does it look like? So let's turn up, uh, turn over to Romans chapter 12, 
verses 3 through 8. And listen to these words from Paul. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Do we need to make a sound adjustment here? Does anybody hear it? You're hearing the, it must just be me. Okay, I just don't want anything to stand in the way. Good job, guys. Well done. All right, so we see right away that God's grace changes the way that we think about ourselves. That to live a life that is uh, transformed by the gospel, uh, that there's an immediate and an appropriate uh, change in the way that we think of ourselves. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Again, we see this idea that, that the, the Christian, though the one that has been transformed by grace, is someone that is not being conformed to the world, but be, that is being transformed by the renewing of what? Their mind. Renewing of their mind. And specifically, the mind as it pertains in the way that you think of yourself. He's saying that it's human nature... For us to think more highly than we ought to think, right? It's human nature as well to think more lowly than we ought to think. But for sure, he's uh, going after and confronting our human nature to, uh, to be proud, to think that we're better than we really are, to have an overestimation of ourselves. And yet, even as we think about that, we see the, 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 um, just the crazy nature of such a thing, right? So, as recipients of mercy, freely given, undeserved gift, we, even in our human nature, are prone to respond to uh, that gift with pride, right? That just because that we're, we're, we're now graced people, uh, that's to, to motivate within us uh, a, a, a overestimation of self that seems like a, a contradiction of terms. And yet, Paul is addressing this very thing. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That, that mercy never motivates 
uh, properly in anyone that receives it a proud or overestimated view of self. Right? Mercy does not cause us to think of ourselves more highly. No. A true recipient of mercy is one who thinks more highly of the giver, the one who gave it, the one who dispenses it. Right? We may have a higher view of God as we consider uh, his mercy, but never a higher view of self. And so Paul here is saying that a transformed life that is not conformed to the patterns of this world has a, has a, uh, does not have an overestimated view of self, but really has a sober-mindedness. When you think of the word sober, what comes to mind? Yeah, you typically think of someone who's not sober, someone who drinks and kind of drinks too much, and they, they don't have any sobriety. They're somewhat uh, out of control. Their, their senses are dulled, and they're not really in control. To the, right? They, they, maybe they're not seeing the world around them or, or, or reacting physically in a way that is, that is sane, not sober. And so he is saying that really that, that the mercy that God grants to uh, those whom he gives it to uh, transforms uh, the way that they think of themselves in such a way that now they're able to see who they really are, understand with a right mind, with sanity. They have a sane view of self, a sober right-mindedness when it comes to their estimation of self. They don't have an overestimated view of self-pride. They don't have an underestimated view of self, uh, self-pity, which if you read uh, maybe Piper on this, you realize that self-pity is just co- uh, pride's cousin. It's just another way of looking at pride, putting ourselves and our issues at the center of the world, right? And uh, everything kind of revolves around that, making ourselves and, and our struggles even and our failures more than they really are. Pride and self-pity really work hand in hand. An overestimation of self and an underestimation of self. It's not really fitting for those who have, been, who have received mercy from God, who have been transformed by the renewing of their mind. So, for by the grace given to me, he says this, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we're to see ourselves in view of God's mercy according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We're not to see ourselves based on our own accomplishments relative to other people. We're not to estimate ourselves based on our economic status, how much money we make or do not make, what kind of home we live in, what kind of car that we drive. We're not to esteem ourselves based on the amount of social media attention that we get. Some of us, we need to hear that. How many likes, shares that we get from a particular post or idea that we have. How many friends we have or don't have on Facebook or some other social media platform. We're not to measure ourselves or estimate ourselves based on culture's expectations. What the world says we are and what we should be. No. Rather, We're to base our view of self on God's sovereign and good choice in the distribution 
of a desired measuring apportionment of faith toward us. Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And even as we hear that, we begin to scratch our heads a little bit. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're to, that we're to see uh, uh, other people having differing measures of saving grace and mercy? Are we to see that God gives a, a, a little bit of mercy in salvation to some and a little bit of grace in a little bit more grace to others in salvation? Is that what Paul's getting at here? A little bit of faith here and a lot more faith there as it pertains to salvation? The answer is no. We understand, based on Romans 1 through 11, that when it comes to saving faith, saving grace, saving mercy, that God uh, does this in one way, through Christ, for all of his people. And when God gives us Christ, guess what? He gives us all of him. We don't just get some of Christ. Some of us don't get a little bit of Christ in his work, and, and some of us a little bit more of Christ in his work. Absolutely, positively not. That is not what Paul is saying when he says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Please hear that. If you've been saved by grace, according to mercy, saving faith has been granted unto you, you get all of it, all of Christ from God. That should be an encouragement to you. All that he is. John Piper says... um, Uh, You get all that Christ is and has done for all of Christ's people. All that he is, all that he's done. You get all of it when you're in Christ. That's a wonderful encouragement. So what is he saying? He's talking about a faith that functions in differing ways and capacities in the body of Christ. So yes, we're getting all of Christ. In salvation, but when it comes to functioning faith, the way the faith functions in the context of the body, he's he's dispensing it according to his good pleasure and will in differing ways and capacities. Right? So that's what he's talking about here. If you look at the context, this is all about how the body functions. So he's talking about thinking of ourselves with a sober-mindedness. It's According to the measure of faith that God has assigned, he's saying that according to the, to the way in which God has wired you, the capacities that God has given to you, the passions that he's placed, the gifts and capacities, the things that he's given unto you in differing measure maybe and ways from other people, think of yourself as it pertains to the functioning aspect of the body. Think about yourself in that way. Don't overestimate your place, your function in the body, and don't underestimate your place and your function in the body. Think about it in the way that God has dispensed it. Does that make sense? It's really important to understand that. Very important distinction and, and contextual clarifier. So we see that God has saved all his people in one way through Jesus. You get all of it. But understand this. He has distributed according to his mercy and his grace, according to his sovereign plan, and how he orchestrates and brings together the body of Christ, differing ways and capacities of faith 
as it functions in the life of the body. You could say it this way. In God's grace, he just gives. He, he saves. He, he graces us. But he also, in the dispensing of his grace, places us in the body to function in that way. Very important. I appreciated the way that John Murray uh, just, uh, just reinforced this. Need to have a sober estimation as it pertains to body life. He says this, If we consider ourselves to possess gifts that we do not have, then we have an inflated notion of our place and function. We sin by esteeming ourselves beyond what we are. Do not think more highly than you ought to think. He goes on to say, But if we underestimate, then we are refusing to acknowledge God's grace, and we fail to exercise that which God has dispensed for our own sanctification and that of others. It's critically important that every one of us who is in Christ understand truly who we are on the basis of his saving mercy, on the basis of his placing mercy. It is absolutely essential. We must see who we are. I find it interesting that Paul starts here. The, 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 the life that is not conformed to the pattern of this world. The life that is being transformed by the renewing of the mind. That he thinks it's important to start by saying you have to have a gospel self-awareness. You, you have to be aware truly who you are in Christ and as it pertains to your function in the church. Do you understand who you are in Christ? You are a undeserved recipient of grace. You are a undeserved recipient of a place in the body. Every one of you. I say, he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Well, he's not talking to me. I say to everyone among you. It is important for everyone to have a sober and true understanding of who they are in the gospel to really walk appropriately in response to the gospel. Identity influences behavior. So many of us are living with behavior in the hopes of becoming someone someday. Hogwash. That is not what the gospel says. The gospel says God has made you who you are, and now we respond in light of. Our behavior is an outflow of who God has already made us to be, as his bought child, redeemed, reconciled uh, in Christ. That didn't really come out grammatically well, but you get the point. Got to know who we are. Do you know who you are today? Who you really are? 
Are you defining yourselves based on culture's expectations, based on failures and struggles, based on suffering? How are you seeing yourself? Are you measuring yourself up to other people all the time? I'm not as good as they are. Or has the grace of God in Christ shaped your view of self? You look in the mirror and do you see yourself as a child of the living God, as a recipient of mercy, as someone who's been no longer condemned but is now welcomed and accepted in Christ? Do you see who you really are? Profoundly important. A good starting point when it comes to being renewed in our mind and our thinking. Got to know who we are and also who we are not. You know, you're, you're, you're uh, saved, but you're not the only one that's saved. You've been placed in a body known as the church, which we're going to talk about next. But you are not the totality of the body yourself. You've been graced. You've been placed. See who you are today. But even as we talk about that, I I think it's easy for us to get lost in self-reflection. We like the attention on ourselves, at least I think human nature typically does. We want to know who we are. We want to understand more about self. We want to, you know, my mind is so drawn. In prayer, I, I spend a lot of time confessing, Lord, I was praying and then I thought about myself for 10 minutes. How did that even happen? Because just by nature, I'm, I'm, I'm just prone to think of myself so much. So, so understand this. While I say think of yourself, have a self-awareness, don't be consumed with yourself. Don't get lost in this. Because really, yourself is really, in its dignity and its, and its, uh, uh, its value, is not apart from an inseparable unity that you have with others. While we think about individuals here, we're we're thinking about the the corporate reality as well. Look at what he goes on to say. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. First and foremost, what I hear there is, if you're thinking about yourself, if you're trying to understand who you really are, you cannot do that accurately without considering the church, without considering others. That really who you are is inextricably tied to whom God has tethered you to in the gospel. He says, we are one body in Christ. Understand who you are. Be self-aware. God's grace needs to change how you think about yourself. But God's grace does that by connecting you to others in the body of Christ. You can't think of yourself apart from the the organic unity and whole of the corporate entity we know as the body of Christ. There is no you apart from that in some way, shape, or form, if that makes sense. There's no me and Jesus mentality in response to the gospel. It's, it, it makes no sense given 
how God has designed the body and what God's purposes are meant to do in your life in connection to the body. So let's just say it this way. In Christ's body, we share together an inseparable unity. There's, there's a unity, a oneness in the body of Christ. If we're going to think of ourselves with a sober mind, we have to think of that. We have to recognize that. For as in one body, we have many members. There's many members, yes. So we, though many, are one body and individually members of one another. This inseparable unity, this interconnectedness in the body of Christ. Not just a collection of individuals, but a deep connection as one, a corporate reality. You know, we live in a community that that historically, if you read articles, has shown high levels of isolation. Right? There's less people, read an article once in Central New York, less people, more households. Hmm. How does that work? We have less people, but we have more households. People are living alone. People are living isolated. Divorces, right? People aren't getting married, right? People are isolated. They create, uh, crave community, a sense of belonging and connection. Understand this is... This is what the gospel has accomplished. This is what God is doing, creating a people for himself in the church. We are one in Christ, one body in Christ. There is one body, one universal church throughout the ages, globally, that we are all inextricably linked and connected to, through Christ. We Look, we see this locally as well, not just universally, but in time, in this place, now, gathered together as Renovation Church, we are a local expression of that universal church. We are one in this body, one body of Christ. You look around the room, there's an inextricable unity inseparable unity that you share in Christ with one another. If you're going to be self-aware, you, you're others aware. You're aware of the body of Christ. We share in all that Christ is and all that Christ has as one body together. We belong to something. So much uh, so, uh, beyond ourselves. The very community that human nature craves is found ultimately in the body of Christ as it's connected to its Lord. This confronts our individualism. Man, if there's anything in America that we embrace fully, it's individualism. Confronts our isolationism. The world revolves around me and I can do it all on my own. I don't need anybody's help. I'm doing just fine. But there's this inseparable union that we share, but also this beautiful diversity. The members do not all have the same function. 
one in Christ, but we don't all have the same function. We don't all have the same spiritual gift. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. God, in his sovereign dispensing of grace to to bring about a faith that functions in the life of the body, did not do so and dispense it with uniformity. Unity, but not uniformity. There is a beautiful diversity in the body. Look around this room. There is a beautiful diversity amongst the people in this room. There are gifts that I don't have, but I see it here in the body. And so while we have this interconnectedness, there's also an inherent interdependency in the body of Christ. That's how the human body works, right? The the skeletal system, the respiratory system, how many other systems are there? Muscular? Come on, you guys are the scientists. Nine. Okay. The nine (laughs) systems of the body, cardiovascular, lymphatic, digestive, we won't say urinary, urinary, reproductive systems, we have arms, legs, feet, fingers, eyes, right? Diversity. The human body. Paul's illustration right here. Interdependency. Right? If one shuts down, the others are affected. Interdependency. You know, we're trying to teach Silas how to shoot with his left hand. Right? You take away the right hand, and that kid's got some problems. Right? (laughs) We need the right, we need the left, we need both legs, we need the eyes and ears. There's an interdependency at work in the body of Christ. Beautiful diversity. We're called to know who we are, to have a sober-mindedness as we approach this, and recognize that, that, that the grace that God gives us, the faith that he dispenses to each one of us, the gifts that we have, are not meant to be shelves, shelved, but to be stewarded. We steward these gifts by, by functioning together in this inseparable unity and in this beautiful diversity. Christ's body, we have this beautiful diversity that we have. So based on this understanding of who we are, based on this unity that we now share in Christ and this diversity in the body, what do we do? And I think this is where the, where the message gets very simple because we can overthink these things. We can make more of this. What, what do we do about it? Use them. That's it. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Well, what do we do, Mike? Use your gift. Out of a contentment with the gift and the grace that you've received, not trying to use someone else's gift, not trying to be someone you're not, not trying to posture, not trying to do too much beyond what God has given you to do, but receiving what you have and humbly accepting it and then functioning out of it. God has given you a gift to be stewarded and we steward those gifts by using those gifts. Does that make sense? 
We steward God's gifts when we use God's gifts. So let me ask you something. Can you identify your gift? Maybe someone has identified it for you and encouraged you in it. Do you know your place in the body of Christ? Can you put a finger, based on experience, interacting with other Christians, or based on some passions and abilities that that you have? I'm not talking about overestimation and pride. I'm talking about just, yeah, I think think that's how I'm wired. See them for what they are. They're gifts from God. Can you identify what they are? What specific talents and abilities have been given to you by God? What experiences has God brought you through to further enhance your youthfulness to the health of this body? Can you put a finger on any of that? It's important as we consider ourselves that we begin to think about this. Because again, knowing who we are, we're graced and we're placed, every one of us. No one is indispensable. No one in Christ is indispensable. It's every member receiving grace and functioning out of that grace. It's an all-in mentality. So knowing your gift And functioning accordingly is of critical importance. But maybe you're here today and you're not sure. Maybe you're not sure what your gifts are. Just so you know, that's okay. It's not okay long run, like we should uncover that, but it's okay. No pressure. Hurry up, figure it out. What we would just simply encourage you to do is serve. See needs that arise. Obey the commands of Scripture. Right? Just because, I love it when people say, I'm not an encourager, so it's not my heart. I'm not going to encourage. Somebody else has that gift. It's like, eh, I don't really think that's what Paul means. Uh, I'm not a giver. It's not my thing. Don't really think, right? So, again, being gracious and hospitable and an encouragement and serving Like, those things are also just general commands of Scripture that we live out and display the nature of God in in how we interact. And as that happens, all of a sudden, as you serve and as you obey Scripture and as you get involved in body life, guess what happens? People go, that dude's an encourager. Right? Man, she has the gift of hospitality. And they begin to affirm that. Begin to affirm that. And then as you serve, your influence grows. You begin to show others how to be hospitable. Show others how to be an encourager. Show others how to display the nature and the character of God. So if you don't know, don't freak out. Just start serving. Just get involved. Get connected to people's lives. Get involved in a ministry team. Get involved in your community. Work hand-in-hand with other brothers and sisters of Christ. Just get in the game, and you will see God continue to provide grace and to use you according to the grace that he has assigned. And people will begin to see it, and they're going to glorify God because of it. This is how God is at work in you. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense? We're called to use these gifts. He gives a list here 
It says prophecy and, and teaching and leadership and giving and serving and exhortation and mercy. If you have these gifts, you're to use them, right, in proportion to the faith that God has assigned. I know many of you are like, well, I wonder if he's going to get into the nature of prophecy. And I'm not getting into that today, okay? That's not what we're doing. We can have that in another sermon because that's not really the point here. The point is having gifts that differ, use them. Paul is instructing them to use the gifts that God has given them, to steward the grace that they have by using the gifts that God has given. And here's the wonderful thing. When we do this, when we do this, we capitalize on such an opportunity. I think we we miss out on that. We're, We're so inundated with opportunities in the world in which we live. We're so inundated with, here, you tr- do this, do this program, sign up for this, here's this activity, right? Uh, maybe I'm just thinking about a suburban parent, but that's the life that we're bombarded with. Opportunities, privileges, things that we have to take advantage of and to fill our schedule, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And it's easy for us to just capitalize on the American dream But I'm telling you right now that a lot of those things can become easy distractions from the real opportunity that we have in the world today as the church. Now understand this, if you're involved in all those things and you're you're exercising and stewarding gifts, I think that serves the kingdom. So please hear that. But oftentimes we get lost and distracted in the opportunities that the world would present to us and miss out on the greater gospel opportunity that we have based on the grace that God has given to us. And so understand this, that when we steward God's grace and use God's gifts, we capitalize on an unparalleled opportunity in the world today. First of all, we display the nature of God. Such confusion about who God is. When the world around us sees how we interact, united and diverse, is that not the cry of culture? One yet diverse, one yet many. In the body of Christ, as it functions according to the grace that we have received, we put on display the beauty and the nature of God in a way that no one else can. Don't miss that. It's about God's nature. God's grace given to display God's nature. Understand this. That when you exercise your gifts, it genuinely makes a difference in people's lives. Makes a difference. I've looked over the last three months, and and, and I'm just blown away. That in the last three months, there have been uh, three benevolence needs that have come to the church and quickly quickly we have seen the church at renovation respond with almost ten thousand dollars in benevolence giving just need let's meet it when you do that when you step out in faith and you exercise the grace according to the gift of giving to meet a need. 
you change people's lives. Do you understand? That's unforgettable. That changes the game. That changes the perspective. It displays God's nature, generous. And it, dis- and it transforms people's lives. I want you to see that. When, you, uh, when more mature Christians get involved in a formation group with teenagers, that's what I hear of. Not like, well, I just, just want to be around people my age, you know, looking for that college-age connection. When older, more mature Christians say, I'm going to give of my time and invest in a teenager, do you know what happens? It changes somebody's life. It redirects the trajectory of their perspective and their decision-making. That when you serve this way, with your gifts and passions and abilities, you give of your time, you make yourself available, it changes people's lives. It builds up the body of Christ. We see prayer needs coming forward. And, and, and I live with someone who has the gift of intercessory prayer. They just start praying for people. They're burdened for people. When you pray, it has an impact on people's lives. Brings, builds the church. It strengthens the church. Right when, when someone initiates a conversation with a new visitor that comes in that's probably uncomfortable, not sure they, that, what it's going to be like, and someone smiles at the front door and welcomes them as if they've known each other forever, that displays God's hospitable nature. When you welcome someone into your home that you don't know, when you pursue someone that you're not really close to, when, when you do these things, you exercise these graces, guess what? People's Lives are changed, maybe in smaller measures here and there, but over time, it changes people's lives. It's a radical kingdom impact that maybe you don't even see on the surface, but this is how God is working in the midst of us. Amen? When you sit down with someone and read them a scripture, exhortation, that applies specifically to their situation. You're building the body. You're changing a life. When you encourage someone with kind words, changing them, it enhances joy too. Right? It, it, it displays God's nature. It makes a difference. It builds the body. It glorifies God. It enhances joy. It doesn't just obey scripture. That should be enough. Right? The, the implicit command here is just obey. Let us use it. Do it. That should be enough. But understand this, that when we obey, these are the kind of things that come about. Displaying the nature of God. Making a difference in people's lives and our community. Building the church. Glorifying God. Enhances joy. And here's the deal, renovation. I'm going to stop here. All I have just done is give a fraction of the examples in this body that I have seen and been blessed by. There are sermons where I go, man, I'm going to be talking to people who are going to be so mad and they're, they're really struggling in this area. I'm like, I feel like I'm confronting them with this truth today. Not with this one. This is easy because I look at a group of people who are doing this, who live this out, who are inter- interconnected in the body, who are interdependent in their functionality with 93% of our members actively engaged in service. 
with almost $10,000 in benevolence given out, with the smiles that I see, and the Thursday evenings where people come behind the scenes just to make things that maybe no one would notice a little bit better around here. When you see the small ways that you hear about people meeting with each other and eating together, praying and encouraging, that is the body of Christ. And I just want to encourage renovation. We have our weaknesses as a church. This is not one of them. Amen? This is what you excel in. And so I just want to praise God for you and, and, and encourage you to continue it up. Do not go uh, to continue it. Do not grow weary in doing what is good. It is making an impact. It is glorifying God. It is enhancing joy in the body. It is building the kingdom in our midst. Be encouraged by that. It encourages me very much to see. And honestly, I'm just privileged to be a part of this local body. Just privileged to be a part of it. Just privileged to be here in this community to know you all, and to serve with you, and it just place our faith, hope, and trust in Christ together uh, to just steward what God has given us, steward grace, and to serve in the specific place that we have. So, um, yeah, if you're not involved, it's not too late. God has graced you. God has placed you. So let's do it. Let's use the gifts that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, I give you all the praise and glory for the people of this congregation. You deserve all the credit. It's your nature. It's your grace expressed and manifested in the lives of the people here. Oh, God, help us all to know who we are in our identity. Help us all understand our place and function in this body. And help us to bring about those very outcomes that serving according to our gifts uh, really brings about. We pray that you would show your nature to this body and to the world around us. We pray that you would build your church, that you would transform lives. We pray that you would build your kingdom and, of course, enhance joy in the lives of people. Again, we ask this through the name of Christ our Lord and all God's people said, amen.